Good morning, church family. Let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus, as we continue to make our way through this great and glorious revelation of God to His people. If you're visiting with us, let me also extend to you a warm welcome. Uh, Also, as Pastor Ryan did a few moments ago, it's our habit to take books of the Bible and to preach through those books. We give our attention primarily to the preaching and teaching of the God's Word through books of the Bible, for we believe that if we want to know who is God, we know God through His Word. And God has equally revealed Himself to us both in the Old and the New Testament. So we're in the book of Exodus, and we've made our way to Exodus chapter 17 this morning. Think about the number of expressions in your life where you have to be told something on a regular basis in order for you to remember. I know last week maybe I picked on little David about taking out the trash, but wouldn't you know it? We still have to remind little David to take out the trash, right? Do you know how many times Erica has to send me a text message on a given day, for example, if if after work she wants me to go to the grocery store and pick up a loaf of bread? You know how many text messages it takes for me to remember that I need to go on the way home to get a loaf of bread? Well, 40, but half the time I still don't remember after the 40th text. Well, that's for several reasons. I have some good excuses, right? Number one, I shouldn't have to be grocery shopping, and I just don't know where things are in the grocery store. Uh, Number two, it's not my regular habit to go grocery shopping, Brother Rob, so I just, I'm used to going right home. I don't remember, right? We need to be reminded. Think of it when you started a new job. When you started a new job, how many times did you have to be reminded of Maybe even a very small task that needed to be routine, but you're, you're overwhelmed with all of the things of, of a new job, the connections with all the people, learning the systems, that you have to be reminded often of even small tasks. Friends, this is what the revelation of God's Word in this section of Exodus is doing for you and for me. Now, for the fourth time, we're going to get this reminder from the Word of God that we should not be people who live our lives in rebellion against God by being people who complain and grumble. And you might think, well, pastor, you know... uh, I've got it. Pastor Travis, just two weeks ago, he, he, preached, he preached from Exodus chapter 16, and he reminded us, that, like, I, I heard what he said, and, and I've got it, and for, and for two weeks now, I've been doing a wonderful job not complaining. Well, I don't know why God in his providence gave us four stories back to back, but he did. And perhaps it's because this coming week, you're going to slip up again. But the Lord is reminding the nation of Israel, and by extension you and me this morning, of the difficulty, of the problem, of the consequences of what takes place when we reject 
God's sovereign direction in our lives, and we complain about his leadership. Look how this text unfolds for us here in these first seven verses. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages. Now we know that the people of Israel have been out in the wilderness now for at least several weeks. We don't know at what week here Moses is moving the people on. Is this week five or is it week eight or week nine? But they're in the first few months of their wilderness journey, and the Bible tells us here that they're now moving on. They're progressing away from the wilderness of sin. And notice how they're doing it. According to the commandment of the Lord. And so, friends, whatever is going to take place in the narrative of this text of Scripture, we can be certain that whatever is happening is at the command and the direction of God. And we know that because the text of Scripture has very clearly revealed that for us. Israel is moving. Moses is leading the nation of Israel to move at God's command. It not only includes a movement in terms of location, but it also includes movement in terms of time. Everything is happening at the direction of God in this narrative. And so they move according to the command of the Lord, and they are camped at Rephidim. We have absolutely zero idea where that is. Open your Bibles to your maps and just point your finger somewhere in the vicinity of what you think might be the wilderness, and your guess is as good as anybody else's. But wherever Rephidim is, we do know this about that place, there is no water for the people to drink. There's a crisis here, we might say. We all understand that it takes water to survive. It takes water and food. As I understand it, uh, you and I need to be having water on a regular basis. I try to get all the water I can filter through tea leaves. It's wonderful. We have to have water in order to survive. There's a crisis. There is no water. And so what do the people do? They now do for the fourth time what they've been doing, but notice the language of this text. There is an intensity to this text of Scripture that has not been present in the other narratives. Therefore, because of this situation, the people quarreled with Moses. And they said, give us drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why do you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And so Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, 
and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? We come to this place in this text of Scripture, and we are reminded that Israel's complaint was ultimately rebellion against God. Israel's complaint here in this text of Scripture was ultimately a refusal to trust the very Word of God. We noted just a few moments ago that the text tells us that Israel is moving at the very command of God. Israel is submitting themselves to the authority of God's Word. God is leading the people by His Word. Now the text, interestingly enough, communicates to us that first and foremost, the people were in rebellion against Moses. They were complaining against Moses, right? And Moses ends up turning it around on them and says, wait a minute, you're not ultimately in rebellion against me, you're ultimately in rebellion against God. And then we come to the very end of this narrative, and we even learn further a little bit of detail about what these people are complaining about. They're even accusing the Lord of his presence being removed from them. There is whole-scale lack of faith and hope and trust in what God would do and is doing for his people. I said it a few moments ago that where we are in this narrative is within a few weeks of a number of Israel's journeys and experiences with God. We are for sure within just a matter of weeks and at most a few months away from the most miraculous thing that Israel has seen up until this point. The Lord divided the Red Sea and the nation of Israel walked across that area on dry ground. The Lord provided salvation and they turned around and what happened to Israel's enemies, Egypt? They were completely consumed by the Red Sea. What else, we might say, what else does the nation of Israel need in order to know God is one who provides for them and God is one whose presence is always with his people? Now, we're not saying the nation of Israel who came in their house every day and hung their keys up on the same hook that they've forgotten where they placed the keys. In fact, friends, I... uh, I don't have my keys with me. I have to have an air tag on my keychain. And we play hunting games here with the staff for my keys because the nice thing about that air tag is you can set it up and then with your phone you can press a button and you can just walk around and wait for the dinging to start. And the nice thing about the iPhone is with that, with that air tag, it will bring you within just a matter of a few feet of where you left your keys. We're not saying in this text of Scripture that Israel just can't remember where did she place her keys. 
we're saying that Israel can't even remember for three weeks, for five weeks, for two months. Israel can't even remember that God has redeemed her. Of course, it's easy to cast judgment at Israel. Like, Israel, what's your deal? What's your problem? How in the world do you forget that you were slaves for 400 plus years? Slaves! Indentured servants owned by another. Every aspect of your life was controlled. And now God has given you freedom. How do you forget that? And then we remember we're much like Israel, are we not? In the same way we were enslaved to another, we were enslaved to our sins, to the passions of our flesh, we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins, we were separated from God, we were enemies of God. And yet God in His goodness and His graciousness parted the Red Sea of our sin and we walked across on dry land through Christ. And yet here you are, two weeks following that confession of faith, five years, 20 years, 40 years, And we're still struggling with the same temptations and sins that we were doing before the Lord redeemed us. We still have a struggle with our minds being redeemed, and so we love to complain. We still have a struggle with our tongues being redeemed, and so we still love to slander and and gossip. We still have a struggle with our eyes being redeemed, and so we still lust. And we're reminded even in this context just how much like Israel we truly are. We have a problem remembering the good, kind graces of God. So for the fourth time, we go back to chapter 14. The nation of Israel is getting ready to cross the Red Sea. And the nation of Israel says, what in the world are you doing to us? It would have been better, they cry out, if you would have left us to serve the Egyptians than to die out here in the wilderness. They're not trusting the Lord's provision at the Red Sea, are they? They're concerned that the Egyptians are about to simply trample all over them. Look in chapter 15. They come out of the Red Sea now. They're literally just days away from that expression. They've just sung of this incredible deliverance that the Lord has provided. And look at verse 24. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Remember, they came to Merah, and the water was 
bitter. And then you come to chapter 16. They're now out in the wilderness of sin, and there's no provision of food. And so what do they do, the nation of Israel? They complain against the Lord again, wanting to know why in the world have you brought us out into this wilderness? They grumbled against Moses. And now the fourth time. There is no water, but look at the intensity of the language. Look what is taking place in this passage of Scripture as the children of Israel simply complained against the Lord. They grumbled against the Lord. But now notice what the text of Scripture says. They quarreled with Moses. Moses says, why do you quarrel with me? Then why do you trust why do you not trust, uh, why do you test the Lord? And then they complain against the Lord that he is not among them. They complain, but now they quarrel. Do you see what's happening in Israel's unguarded heart? You know what happens with sin? A little bit of sin infects us. We drink its dose. We, we drink it down with delight and joy. And we say, well, that wasn't that bad. And then guess what happens? It grows. And it manifests in our hearts and our lives. It moves us further away from God. And now the Bible says that the nation of Israel, they are out there quarreling with the Lord. It's an image that they are just one after another, just complaining over and over. They are ready to fight with Moses. So much so, what does Moses say is taking place? They were ready to do what? Stone me. Now, I think most of us understand complaining. Um, I like to complain about the crazy drivers we have in Louisiana. I don't think I've ever said, I really wish I could run over that gal in front of me and, and kill her. In other words, I, I don't think that I said, I really want to just stone that person in front of me, right? Not bumper with the car, maybe, but, you know, not really. Not really run over for death. But this is what Israel's complaining has accomplished. Listen at what Luke records for us in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 19, as he's recounting Paul's missionary journey. Paul has made it to Ephesus. The Bible says that Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrenius. Did you hear the progression of what's taking place with Paul in Ephesus? He's showing up for three weeks, proclaiming the truth of God's Word, and listen at the progression. They became stubborn. Then they continued in their unbelief, which led to them speaking evil of the way. Their hearts continued to harden 
and rebellion against God, one sin after another. Originally for the nation of Israel, God, why in the world would you bring us to this point of the Red Sea with our enemies behind us and they're going to kill us? At least when we were enslaved, they were providing food for us and they're not willing to kill us. And now it has progressed to full-on battle and warfare against God. What a perfect image of sin in your life and my life. This, friends, is why you and I must get sin checked in our hearts now. Don't delay to confess your sin before a holy God today and say, Lord, I'm going to stop this. Grant me the power by your Spirit. We'll see in just a few moments the fuller effects of the nation of Israel's rebellion against God. In fact, as we continue through the Pentateuch, you're going to get a very similar story when you get to the book of Numbers. And the nation of Israel are doing the exact same thing all over again. And it was that experience of where Moses had to strike the rock twice where God says to the nation of Israel and to Moses, this generation will not enter the promised land. See, friends, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that our sins have eternal consequences you will reap a loss of rewards in eternity because of your rebellion today. Exactly what is it the nation of Israel is rebelling against God? Notice what they say first. Give us water to drink. They are rebelling. They are rejecting God's provision. They are questioning God's provision for them. Does God have the ability to make provision for his children? And what evidence would the nation of Israel have that God is one who makes provision for his children? A lifetime in some ways, right? But they're questioning the very provision of God. Then look down at the end of verse 3. They're questioning God's very protection for them. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us? God, you don't know how to protect your people. They're, they're accusing Moses of homicide. You, Moses, are trying to kill us. And then notice lastly at the end of verse 7. They're denying God's presence. Is the Lord among us or not? And by the way, these rejections of who God really is. He's one who makes provision for his people. He's one who provides for his people. He's one who is always with his people. Is not a new form of rebellion against God. We go all the way back to the narrative in Genesis chapter 3, and guess what Adam and Eve are doing in Genesis chapter 3? 
Adam and Eve are doing in Genesis chapter 3, what Israel is doing in Exodus chapter 17, and what you and I do in 21st century America. We battle against the truthfulness of God's Word. What did Satan say? Did God really say? It was a question of God's protection for Adam and Eve. It was a question of God's provision for Adam and Eve. God had given Adam and Eve all the provision they needed in the Garden of Eden. It was a question of God's presence. Is God really who he claims to be? Is he truly the one that is omnipresent? Is God really here right now? And these friends are the three same questions that grip our hearts in our moments of rebellion. Whether you're verbally expressing those, whether you're consciously expressing those, this is what is happening at the moment of sin in our lives. We are questioning ultimately the Word of God. We're questioning His provision for our lives. We're questioning His protection for our lives. We're questioning His presence in our lives. Writing on the lustfulness of the human heart, Dietrich Bonhoeffer penned these words. Satan, at the moment of lust, does not fill our minds with the hatefulness of God. He fills our minds with the forgetfulness of God. And that, my friends, captures all three of these problems with sin and rebellion in our hearts and our lives. The nation of Israel is in crisis. They are full-scale rejecting who God is, the very character and nature of God. They're very quick to forget. This is why we will see multiple times throughout the Pentateuch and even into the Psalms. For example, turn with me to Psalm 106. This is why we will get, on a regular basis, a reminder from God toward His people of exactly what is taking place. Psalm 106, verse 13. But soon, but they soon forgot His works. They did not wait for His counsel. What did they do quickly? They forgot what God was doing. They forgot the way in which God was responding. They forgot God's various provisions. They forgot God's protection. They forgot God's presence. So the nation of Israel is being reminded over and over and over and over again. And of course, we come to that 
climax of the book of Exodus, at least in the second half of the book of Exodus, and we come to, to Horeb, to Mount Sinai, Mount Moriah, uh, not Mount Moriah, to Sinai, and um, what does Israel do while Moses is on top of that mountain? By the way, this is not the first time we've seen Horeb in the Exodus narrative. Who remembers the first mention of Horeb in the Exodus narrative? It's a major event in the early chapters of the book of Exodus. I'm narrowing it down for you. The burning bush. And what does God do for the nation of Israel ultimately? He's with Moses at that expression. But what is God communicating to Moses at the burning bush in Horeb? He's revealing himself to him, right? So isn't this interesting? We're now back in the narrative, in the, in the book of Exodus, where God has made this incredible revelation to Moses, and by extension to the, to the people of God, of exactly who he is. And at that place, Moses says, Israel says, who is God that we should believe him? or trust in Him, or expect that His provision would be with us continually. But look at God's provision for the nation of Israel. God makes provision for them. Verse 5, And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. Why is He going to take the elders of Israel with Him? Because the elders of Israel will go, Join Moses in communicating the truthfulness of God's word, God's provision, God's presence to the nation of Israel. So it's a, a testimony of others to stand with Moses. Take the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. And that's an interesting piece of furniture that Moses should take along with him, is it not? What was the staff doing back in Exodus chapter 6? When Moses struck the Nile with that staff, how was that staff functioning in the life of ancient Israel and in that moment and with the Egyptians? Well, first of all, the staff was a reminder of God's presence and power. For it would be through that staff that Moses would execute these various judgments of God. But that staff was also a sign of judgment. When Moses struck the Nile with the staff, what happened to the Nile? It turned into blood. And what was the purpose of the turning of the Nile into blood? Judgment against Egypt. Judgment against Pharaoh. A communication of the power and the might and the strength of God. So God is saying to Moses, take some people with you for testimony. Take that symbol of my presence. Take that symbol of my judgment with you. Now stay with me as we think about the rock, the rod being a statement of God's 
presence and God's judgment as we see what Moses does with that rod. Verse 6, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. Don't miss it. Who's going to stand there? Who's going to stand on that rock? God Himself. And you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is God's presence with us or not? God's remedy for the nation of Israel in this moment was His presence and His judgment. And I want you to see them. We ultimately come to understand what God is doing in the context of this narrative and what God is doing in the context of Numbers chapter 20 as we read our Bibles in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and maybe just keep a finger in uh, Exodus chapter 17, we'll be right back over to Exodus chapter 17 in just, in just a moment. And I want you to see what Paul is doing with this narrative here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I want you to know, brothers, chapter 10, verse 1, that our forefathers were all under the cloud. What does he mean by that? They were all under the presence of God. So Paul is answering the question for us in some ways, back to verse 7. Was God's presence among the nation of Israel? And the answer is, yes. Paul is saying they were all under God's presence. They were all under God's authority and and direction and provision and power. And they all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate of the same spiritual food, and all drank of the same spiritual drink. Paul is recounting this entire narrative of the Exodus. For they, notice the text of Scripture very carefully, for they drank the same, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was whom? The rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Verse 6, now these things took place for what purpose? As examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Now there's a number of interesting instructions. Friends, as I said a few moments ago, why is God recounting for us for the fourth time right after each other uh, of these narratives about complaining against God? Paul answers it for us. God wants you and me to be reminded we ought not to be like those people. 
In other words, stop your complaining and stop your grumbling. Now, don't be like those rebellious people. Paul's ultimate argument here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is their complaining ends up leading them to idolatry. Complete rebellion against God. But secondly, and perhaps most importantly, Paul is reminding us that the rock here in Exodus chapter 17 is indeed the person of Christ. So I want us to come back to Exodus chapter 17, having read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I want to read Exodus chapter 17, beginning in verse 6. And I want to read it with a New Testament interpretation. Behold, I, Christ, will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, me, Jesus. And the striking of that rock, the judgment of God against you shall be placed on me. And when that takes place, water shall flow from that rock, making everlasting, eternal provisions for you. And Moses did so just as God commanded. See, friends, what Paul shows us is that standing in the shadow of Mount Sinai, at Horeb, the place in which God revealed Himself to Moses in the most unusual of ways, is there the person of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus is the rock. And Moses takes that rod. Moses takes that rod of judgment. And Moses strikes that rock. Moses strikes Jesus with that rod of judgment. And it's in that moment when Jesus Christ is judged by the Father that He makes everlasting provision for His people. And God, through the striking of the rock, not only judges His Son Jesus, ultimately judging your sin and my sin and placing it upon the person of Jesus, but there... God assures His people of His everlasting presence through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, friends, this image images for you and for me what God would ultimately do through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus answers for you and me. Jesus is the answer for you and for me of every one of Israel's objections against God. Is God able to make provision for you, friends? The answer is yes. Look to Jesus. He's already done it for you. Is God able to provide protection for you? The answer is yes. Look to Jesus, for in Jesus, God has provided protection for you. Is God always with us? And their answer is yes. Look to Jesus, 
For in Jesus, we have the answer that I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you until the end of the ages. God has provided for us. God has made provision for us. God protects us. God grants us his presence through Jesus. The question for you and me today, friends, is this. Have you trusted in Jesus? Has that judgment of Jesus against your sin have been applied to your life through faith and by faith? Have you repented of your sins and turned toward God, the one who alone has made propitiation for your sins, and not only for your sins, but for the sins of the entire world? And if the answer to that question is no, would you look to Jesus today? And friends, if the answer to that question is yes, then this question, this narrative begs of you and me to increase our faith and our hope and our trust in Him, to stop complaining, to stop quarreling, to stop rebelling, Look to Jesus, and there have your joy increased. Look to Jesus, and there have your delight in life increased. Look to Jesus, and there find your provision for life made. Look to Jesus, and have your faith, and your hope, and your trust increased. This text of Scripture reminds us that our expressions of rebellion point us to our need of always being reminded of Jesus' sacrifice. Would you remember this morning? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you for the work that you have done on our behalf through Christ. We thank you, God, today for what you have accomplished through the giving of your Son. We thank you for what you have accomplished on our behalf and the judgment of your Son where you placed our sins on him and you caused him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. We ask you, Lord, this morning, for those of us who by faith have trusted in Jesus, would you by your Spirit and through your Word increase the intensity of our gaze upon Christ? Would you increase our love, our devotion, and our affection for Jesus? And Lord, for the one that might be here today who still lives their life in rebellion against God, would you by your Spirit and through your Word convict them of sin, righteousness, and, sin, righteousness, and judgment and call them to trust in Christ? Would you take a few moments where you're seated this morning and reflect upon the preaching of God's Word?
For those of you that are believers, would you ask the Lord to enable you not to be like the nation of Israel? Would you confess your complaining and your grumbling to the Lord this morning? Would you renew your trust in God today and ask God by His Spirit to grant you the faith to believe that at every moment God has made provision for you, that God has provided protection for you, that God is with you. In just a few moments, we're going to stand and respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing. And as we stand to sing in just a few moments, if you're here and you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ, Myself and Pastor Travis will be standing down front. We would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. But friend, you don't have to come forward and speak to one of us. Please feel free to turn to someone seated next to you, for there are plenty of people seated around you that would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. Secondly, perhaps you'd like one of us to pray with you. For in your own heart and in your own life, you realize... I am Israel. I'm not trusting the Lord like I need to. And you want God to help you be the man, the woman of faith who exemplifies faith and hope and trust in God. We would delight in shepherding your heart by praying for you. Or thirdly, maybe God has impressed upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with Christ. This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. God, as we respond to you now, we ask.